We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. Wow. Thank you, choir. Uh, what a word. Singing Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Many of you know that verse so well. It's, it is the most well-known verse out of First and Second Chronicles. If you don't know First and Second Chronicles, you at least know that verse, right? We see it on posters. We hear people say it. We hear it preached um, often. Um, and what a powerful message to us. Um, I want to do two things um, primarily today. One is to offer you a word of encouragement. Uh, and second, to offer you a word of instruction this morning. I'm Danny. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at First Baptist Church. have the privilege of being the preaching pastor in our contemporary service in Lagos. That's where Chris is today. We've switched this morning, and um, it's always a delight um, for the Lagos congregation to have Chris over there, and I hope you feel the same way about me. Uh, I sure am always thrilled to be here with you. Um, with that said, let's stand together and read God's Word. We're going to read verses 11 through 16 of 7, chapter 7. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord, as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. You may be seated. Um, Father, Lord, we humbly ask... We humbly ask that you help us understand your words to us and help us to follow in faithful obedience. Lord, we are your people. Man, what a work of grace for that to be a reality. We rejoice in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Uh, just a gentle disclaimer uh, this morning. We're so familiar with this text. Oftentimes, our hearts or our minds are, are tied to our nation when we read this text, but let me just make this brief disclaimer. Uh, this text is not a prophetic word given to the United States. And there are two reasons for that, probably a lot more, but two reasons that I want to mention. First, God has never made a covenant with the United States of America. Never. One day it won't exist. Uh, second, there has never been a time in U.S. history when we have been the people of God as the United States. The church has been the people of God. We are his family, we his sons and daughters. 
Um, my last disclaimer is, although that's true about this text, we are called as the church to pray and on the nations and for the nations in which we live. And that doesn't matter if the church in China or the church in the United States of America. We pray for our leadership. We pray for our government. We pray for our nation. We grieve over the sin and brokenness of our nations in this nation. We grieve and lament uh, over its godlessness. Um, and we continue as his church to live out Jesus's values in this very broken nation and broken culture. So all those things are true. But who is this written for? Who was this written to? Now, we don't have an exact author. Some people think Ezra might have written the First and Second Chronicles. Um, but First and Second Chronicles, we say, was written by, lovingly, the chronicler. Because we don't know exactly who it is. We say the chronicler wrote First and Second Chronicles. And we know that the chronicler wrote these words about 400 years removed from the dedication of the temple or the events that we're reading about today, right? Does that make sense? So the people that were first hearing and reading these words were 400 years away from the dedication of the temple. Now, who were these people? Uh, we know that these were God's people who had come out of exile. They had been in exile for 70 years. In fact, another way to say that, they were on the other side of verses 19 through 22. Let me just remind you what God says in the rest of this chapter in verse 19. But if you or your descendants abandon me and disobey the decrees and commands I've given you, and if you serve and worship other gods, pause just for a second. It took Solomon about 40 years, less than 40 years to give his heart to other gods. Amazing, right? They beheld the presence of the Lord God in smoke and fire, the praises of his people, claiming the promises of God, rejoicing in the construction of the temple. Less than 40 years later, his heart was somewhere else. So goes the king, so goes the people. Verse 20, then he says, I will uproot the people from this land that I've given them. I will reject this temple that I have made holy to honor my name. I will make it an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive with all of its gold and statues and engraving, I will pass by. They will all pass by, will be appalled. They will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be, because his people abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt, and they worshiped other gods instead and bowed down to them, that is why he has brought all these disasters on them. These people that were receiving and reading these words for the very first time were on the other side of these verses. They knew the judgment of God. They had tasted the wrath of God because of their disobedience and their giving themselves to other gods who weren't gods at all. And so they knew God's judgment. And so you can imagine that they had to be asking as they entered into Jerusalem, this broken city, dilapidated walls, a destroyed temple, they had to be asking, what can we do to come back to the Lord? What can we do to come back from our self-imposed disaster that we brought upon ourselves after God clearly told us this is going to happen? 
if you abandon me. If you take for granted my mercy and grace, if you take my temple for granted and my presence for granted, you will know disaster. And so they had to be wondering, what do we do? What do we do? How do we become the blessed, fruitful children of God once again? How do we move past this decrepit sin that we've committed against the Lord? They needed a word of encouragement. And the chronicler intended to remind them of the promises of God and the heart of God for his people. And so we can find encouragement here and a word and instruction. And we're going to stick with that famous verse, verse 14. And so we find it in just the first few words of of verse 14 of chapter 7. Then if my people, what a reminder that they needed to hear. After coming out of exile into a decrepit city that needed much repair and wondering what God was going to do next, reading these words, they were reminded of the promises of old, that regardless of their sin, that God had made a covenant with them, that he would be their people, his people. What an encouraging word, a word of comfort, a word of hope. Wow. What a reminder, or maybe a first reality that they just discovered in this text that said to them that your identity is not based upon your latest and greatest sin. Your identity is not based upon your most secret, most hidden sin, or your biggest sin, or your smallest sin. Your identity doesn't rest in your sin. Your identity rests in this covenant relationship that you would have with God who says, you are my own. You're mine. You're my people. You're my sons and daughters. That had to be encouraging. And not only that, what we see in these first few texts of Second Chronicles chapter 7, beginning in verse 11 and, and through 16, we see that, he, that God for his people had made a way for them for continued restoration. This is important for us to understand. Sometimes we can misconstrue the Old Testament and think that God's expectation was then for them to be able to follow the law to the, the nth degree, that they would perfectly obey every single command. God didn't have that expectation. Uh, God knew that these people were but grass. He knew the weaknesses of men. He knew that they were broken and had a sinful condition. His expectation wasn't that they followed the law perfectly. His expectation was that he would, they would follow him and obey him in the provision of restoration. Uh, that when you acknowledged and were aware of your brokenness and sin, whether it be big or small, that you would come before the Lord. His expectation is, your identity is in me, and I have always made a way for you to know restoration and wholeness and fellowship with me once again, regardless of your sin. I'm doing something about that, is what God says. Through atonement and sanctification, we'll get to more of that in a minute. But what an encouraging word for us, church. Gosh, don't we need to hear And some of us carry so much, some of us have so much sin baggage in our life. And you need to hear again that that's not your identity in Jesus. Your identity in Jesus is a son and daughter. 
Your identity even goes a step further. Your identity is in his righteousness, not your sin. What comforting words for us. And Paul reminds us of this in incredible ways in uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is one of my favorite chapters in all the scriptures. Listen to what Paul says. So Christian, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Slaves who have sinned against their masters do not want to go before, right? There's fear there. And he says, that's not you anymore. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Paul says in Jesus, you don't have to come before the Father in fear and judgment anymore. You can come before him as a son or daughter because that's your identity now. And you can trust that through your identity in Christ and because of what Christ has done, you can come to the Father without fear. And he's going to forgive you and restore you out of your sin and brokenness. Gosh, what a word that we need to hear. Romans chapter 8 also reminds us, right, that God is for us, not against us. Isn't that the word that the chronicler is giving to these people who have been removed and have felt the judgment of God and returned back to Jerusalem? I want you to know God is for you, not against you. We can kind of think of that New Testament story that Jesus told about the prodigal son, right? And the prodigal son, when he was on his way home, he had come to him senses. He had saw his own sin and had felt the judgment, destruction that brought upon himself. And on his way home, he was just saying, if I can just go back to my father's house, I'll just be a servant. I can say, Lord, uh, dad, just make me a servant. I just need some food to eat and a warm bed to sleep in. But what happens when the father sees him down the road? He doesn't treat him as a servant, does he? He says, my son has returned. That's the word that these people were receiving. And that's the word that you need to be reminded of, that you, if you are in Christ, you are his son and daughter and are not defined by your sin. You're defined by his righteousness. And he's ready to receive you and forgive you. There's also a word of instruction here in that very same verse, and y'all know it. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. Implicitly here, there is a truth And that truth is there is a way not to approach the Lord when we're seeking restoration. Uh, There is a way not to come back to the Lord when we're wanting to get things right again. There's a way not to do it. King David talks about this way in uh, Psalm 51. Aaron read it earlier, but let me read it again. He says about the Lord, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. What a prophetic word. This was written hundreds of years before the exiles returned to Jerusalem. And yet this is really for them when they're reading it or singing it, right? Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But then he goes on, then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. 
with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls again will be sacrificed on your altar. There's a way to do it in the wrong spirit. What are some of those ways that we can do it in the wrong spirit? Well, we can be unconcerned about our sin. We can treat it as if it's no big deal. And we can come before God as if our sin is no big deal. We can be committed to a pattern of sin in our life. We can go through the motions of worship, and uh, we can even say, I'm sorry, and we can even say, please forgive me, and yet we are still committed to a pattern of sin in our life. That's not a way to seek restoration to the Lord. It's a wrong way. We can feel entitled to God's forgiveness. I'm your son and daughter after after all. Jesus died for my sins, so forgive me. Right? And, and we fail to recognize that we're not worthy of God's forgiveness. Uh, God is merciful towards us. We're worthy of God's wrath and judgment. We don't come to God cavalierly. We come to him boldly and confidently because of what Christ has done. But we don't come before the Lord saying, well, you know, it's that time again. Just forgive me. It doesn't work that way. Paul, uh, uh, David, and the chronicler would say there's a wrong way to go about seeking restoration. And the point of Psalm 51, verses 16 through 19, is, that, is not that God is disinterested in atoning sacrifices. If he weren't interested in atoning sacrifices, he wouldn't have commanded them. It's not that God is disinterested in atoning sacrifices. The point is that we can't experience the atoning work of the sacrifice for us, Jesus Christ, unless we come to the altar, how? With the right heart. And according to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 14, humbly, seeking the face of the Lord. We cannot presume upon the Lord's mercy and grace if we come to him with our own selfish pride, expecting God to give us what we want. He says, no, you got to come to me humbly. We've been talking a lot about the temple, and the temple is a glorified tabernacle. Uh, The temple or the tabernacle is a uh, tangible expression of God's invitation to move towards him in restoration. And I don't know how familiar you are with the tabernacle. But I'm just going to walk through it very quickly. So you had a courtyard, and right inside the courtyard, you had the altar where they would perform the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And a little beyond the the altar, you would have the basin or the sea of water where the priests would wash their hands and their feet, which was symbolic of God's purification and sanctification of them and the people. And it was only after those two elements of worship, atoning sacrifice and the the sanctification through water, that they would go into the holy place. And the holy place, you know that there are various elements of worship in the holy place, and they would worship God there after they had been atoned for and after they had experienced that ritual cleansing. Then they would enter the holy place. And once a year, the great high priest Only he would go into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of God's throne room. And it was there between the two cherubim that the very presence of God would descend and meet with those who were in the Holy of Holies. Most well-known, obviously, would be Moses, right? But what we know about that process, one, you can see there's this movement from here to here. God is saying, come to me. 
come to me, meet with you, I will meet with you. So you can hear my voice, but it had to come through atonement and the washing. But even before then, what we know from Scripture is that even before they came to the atoning sacrifice, that altar, before they got that far, before they entered the courtyard, they began to pray and humble themselves as they approached the altar. And that's what God is saying to his people, to those exiles who are reading this word for the first time. You want restoration. You want to know how you come back to me? You come back to me humbly. And I've made provision for you to be restored. But you have to begin with humility and seeking my face. What a good word for us. The movement of the tabernacle describes the kind of repentance that Pastor Chris has been talking about since he's been here. That self-awareness, that grief over your own sin and brokenness, and a new desire and steps towards a fresh movement to God and toward God. Aligning yourself with who he is and what he's doing with, rather than going your own direction and your own way. So how does that look in real life for us as individuals and as his church? Um, the best way that I can make sense of this is uh, to talk about marriage. Now, I want to say that God is glorified equally in singleness and in marriedness. And yet we know that there is a unique purpose in marriage that paints a picture of God's covenant love and covenant keeping. And so it's fitting this morning. So, tomorrow, Ann and I will be married 19 years. That's almost 20. That's almost 20 years. It's almost 20 years. It's a big deal. I have a covenant with Anna. She's right over here. You want to wave? I have a covenant with Anna, and she has a covenant with me. Right? We are for one another. We belong to each other. This isn't some contractual arrangement. This is an exchange of goods and services. We're bound together. We're bound together. And we delight in one another. We seek each other. We wait for each other. She is my people, my person, and I'm her person. Right? I'm hers and she is mine. And yet sometimes we sin against each other. Believe it or not. Sometimes I say and do things that hurts my wife. What do I do? What do I do? And that sin is not dealt with in the right way, uh, begins to build a wall between she and I. Big sin, little sin, and if I'm not careful, and if I'm not thoughtful, and if I'm not humble, that I can just add one brick after another, one brick after another. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. You feel separation and distance, right? Things aren't right. Things aren't right. Well, there is a way as a husband that I should not go about restoring things with Anna. There's a way that I should not do it, right? So what are some of those ways? I could go about this all wrong. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I could ignore what I've done. 
I could ignore what I've done and just hope that over time, after I just sweep it under the rug and don't mention it, and hopefully she doesn't mention it, that she forgets about it over time and things will just go back to normal. I can just ignore it. Um, or I could say I'm sorry and even really beg for forgiveness, but in my heart still be committed to the sin that I've been committing against her without change. I really have no intention of changing. Or uh, I could demand forgiveness. I mean, you're my wife after all. You owe me that. I mean, Jesus has forgiven you. You should forgive me. Right? I could demand it. I could demand it. Do y'all think that's going to work? In what universe does that work? It doesn't work that way. And that's what the Lord is saying. If you want to come back to me, if you want to know restoration and wholeness and fellowship with me, you've got to do, go about it a different way than those kind of ways because all those kind of ways are just various ways of me standing in my stubborn, sinful ground. I'm just going to defend myself. Jesus says no. The Father says no. If you want to know restoration, if I want to know restoration and wholeness with Anna, I've got to get real and honest about the things that I've said and the things I've done to her. Right? I've got to have that kind of awareness and grief. What have I done? What am I doing? And it's that moment of awareness and grief that I come to Anna and I say, yeah, I'm really sorry for what I've done. I acknowledge what I've done. I've said these things. I've done these things. Will you forgive me? Makes me very vulnerable because she could say no. But she didn't put me in this place. I put myself here. And so I have to come before with humility and I have to seek her face and say, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? Now, here's the good part. The good part is it's because she's my person we have this covenant relationship together. We trust each other. We, have, we, we are for one another. That Anna is on the ready to say, you bet. You bet. Now, I know some of you are thinking about your marriage right now. And that's good. But others you are still considering and wondering, Danny, how do I come back from my self-imposed disaster with the Lord? What do I do about the sin that I've been carrying? Uh, what do I do about that deep, hidden sin that has built that wall between me and the Lord? Be encouraged this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're his child. And he has made a way for you through his son, Jesus Christ, to know restoration and forgiveness. Will you come to him humbly? and boldly without fear. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Goodness gracious, Lord, uh, we could hear that every day. Lord, help us preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Help us to move towards you with great humility. Help us to seek your face. Help us to be your people. Lord, if it's your whole church that needs to repent, help us to repent with humility. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. 
We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.